about hitting rock bottom, there's only one way left to go, and that's up. Hey guys, welcome back to Discovering Myth Talk Show. And today I am very nervous and I'm very excited because today is the first series Moth in Black launching. As you can see just now, this, this, uh, this series is motivated by the movie Sing, which is, I really, really love it because the words you know what uh, you know that uh, what best about when you hit rock bottom because the only way is only going up. So that's how this series is inspired by. And today we have a very special guest all the way from the United States. And the first time when I had a conversation with him, I got a goosebump. I got a goosebump. You know, like from from a life where you don't know what you want to do and when you get lost and how people support you that oh man when i'm when i'm when i introducing about him right now i'm having goosebumps and let us welcome him kyle houston hey, hey. man hey vincent <laughs> i uh, <laughs> i gotta tell you i am so excited and honored to be your very first guest i didn't realize that was the case so uh, <laughs> So this is this is even more special for me. <clears throat> thanks, man. Thanks, man. I, I really, I really want you to be the first one because, uh, because like your journey, your journey will be the perfect, perfect story to be shared and perfect to be the first one to be shared. Early this, and it's going to be ah, oh, it's, it's really awesome. Like when your life has been difficult and and pretty messed up, you get to be a special guest on shows like this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let me let me throw out a couple things really fast. I absolutely yep. love the production of this of this show. I, I love the videos. I love the whole thing. So um, so we're off to a great start. This is yes, yes, true. I think yeah. we off to a great, even even greater start when you say yes to my invitation for this show. You're, you know you're that too, you're too kind, and we did <laughs> no. conversation. That was the biggest reason I said yes. The goosebumps. All of those things. It was very organic, and I hope we can duplicate that today. I really do. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I believe that we can. We can definitely nail it. We can definitely nail it. <laughs> okay, so so maybe like uh okay so uh hey guys so uh so uh Carl so uh, my man Carl here has an Instagram, and you guys can follow him at Carl Dean Houston. Yeah, probably. Yeah, this is. Can you see this? Yes. So maybe Carl, probably you can uh, do a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of uh, introductions about yourself. Yeah, like what you're doing right now and what is your biggest project, yeah. No problem. So what I am first and foremost is um, I'm a loving husband and a doting father. And I will tell you, I, I do not take that lightly. Um, and that is my favorite uh, position or um, role in life. But I'm also a speaker, a coach, and just recently put out my first memoir called Patchwork Junkie, um, which we'll talk about a little bit. But um, but yeah, no, I'm an author as well. And I live in the United States, just like you said. Um, currently, I am coaching, but my, my passion and 
my career has been all built around sales and sales management. Ah, sales management. And, and here's the interesting that I really, I, I really, really curious about when you share it just now is that you, you mentioned that you're taking this role as a father, as a family, really, really strong. Why? Why, why, why you so? Because I believe that when you, because not everyone really, really taking these positions very strongly, but you take it so serious and strongly believe in it. So why? Well, now that's a, that's an open-ended question. I'll tell you, um, it's a combination of a lot of things. First of all, I, I, I love kids. I don't care if they're mine or they're somebody else's. And I believe that when you get to a certain age, you've got, you've got something to pass on. You've got something to offer. So as far as the responsibility and the duty part, um, these children were given to me for a reason. Uh, and it is my job to make sure that I help them through life because we all know life is difficult. That's the, that's the business end of being a parent. But because of my childhood, because of uh, separations between my mother and father and being raised by a stepfather in a way that, um, that wasn't always fun, and the fact that I didn't get to, I have four children um, mm -hmm. and two of our sons, one's 29 this year and the other one's 22. And I didn't get to spend very much time with them growing up. So this is my second chance. Uh, and I take it very, very seriously. And it instills an incredible amount of, of love because I understand what it's like not to be able to hug your kids, not to be able to touch your kids. I actually had one of my children who was put up for adoption while I was in prison. Um, and that just ripped my heart out. And so now that I can get my hands on my my eight and 10 year old girls, I kiss them every day and I never take for granted the fact that I can be with them. So it's it's a lot of things. There, wow. there's, no short, there's no short answers with any question with me, Vincent, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. I mean, I really love, I really love when you like really sharing your, your life stories. It's, it's, it's like telling me something like, it's like teaching me like, hey, this is what I've been through. And I hope that through me, you can learn this. You can learn this. You can learn this and, and apply it to your life. And this is why sometimes I, I really love a, a very, very long conversation. <laughs> well, then you're going to love this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So just now you mentioned that you two have like, a, like two sons, right? One is 29 and another one is 22 years old. So, and you also mentioned that you don't really spend a lot of time with them because you were at prison. Uh, you were at prison. So, what 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 leads you to to be behind bars? Sure. So let's just jump right into that. <clears throat> so um, I usually, when I'm talking to somebody, uh, I love to start out with all the accomplishments that I've done because then I get to set this stage and people don't judge me. But he here's the truth. When I was in my mid-20s, uh, I got addicted to methamphetamine. And I, I don't know if your audience understands uh, a whole lot about drugs, and it'd be great if they didn't, but it's an insidious drug that <laughs> takes a hold of your life in a really fast amount of time. Um, and in less than two years, I went from a low-level user to a notorious meth cook. And a, and a meth wow. cook is somebody that manufactures meth. And I was using needles. I was using intravenously. 
I had gotten myself into this mental trap where I thought the only way for me to ever quit using drugs was to have an overdose, which is exactly what I was trying to do. And this is at 25, 26 years old. Well, I end up getting arrested. I end up getting uh, facing 30 years with no parole. And I have just a, an incredibly painful experience all by myself in a cell, 23 hours a day by myself for about 10 months. And so, and there's a lot more to that story, but what ends up happening is through the course of getting reindicted, I faced life in prison twice. Uh, and I did a total of seven years behind bars, but my sons going back to them, <clears throat> When I first got arrested, my son, who's going to be 29 years old in October, was six. And he went from six years old to 13 while I was in prison. And that was a very, very difficult thing for me to have to experience. It was very difficult for him. It caused a tremendous amount of trauma. And the 22-year-old son, his name is Sean, he ended up getting adopted at the age of four years old, and I lost complete track of him for 14 years, uh, which ripped my heart out. And um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, so, so. yeah, it's tough on me. Anyway, it ripped my heart out. We got back together when, when he was 18 years old. He reached out to me on Facebook. And over the last three or four years, we've developed a, a really good relationship that I wish was closer. But that's kind of how that all happened. That's how I lost um, many, many years with my children. And again, the bright side of it all, the silver lining to it all is that my capacity to love and my capacity to not take my relationships for granted now is as good as it ever will be, as good as it ever could be. And I, again, I kiss my children every night. Uh, I make sure that I put them to bed. I make sure that they know that they're loved, whether they love me back or not at the moment, they, they always know that daddy loves them. And that's something that I, again, I will never, ever take for granted. And it's, it's a great mindset to have because there's that old saying that you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Well, the truth true, is true. it doesn't apply to me because I already know what I've got because I already know what it's like to be pulled away and be gone. And, um, and it actually is a great way to go through life. <clears throat> wow, wow, man. I guess that it's it's really tough. It's really tough when like you, you, I mean I mean that we not spending time and especially when Sean, right, Sean, right, at the edge of four. I mean that I guess that he I mean I mean that you mean that uh just now just now you mentioned that uh at the edge of eighteen, right, he reached out to you through Facebook. Uh, I I kinda curious that. What is your emotion during that time when there when when he tried to reach you, reach out to you in Facebook? It was amazing. So <clears throat> through the course of uh, you know, and this is important to understand, I I did have contact at some point with his adopted mother, and she would allow me to email her, and every once in a while she would send me a picture of Sean and she would tell me what he's doing in his life, and that went on for about three or four years. But she, she was too scared to let Sean ever connect with me because she was afraid she was going to lose him. Well, when at 18 years old, um, he just one day, and this was, I'll, I'll never forget it, it was May 13th 
um, he sent an instant message to me on Facebook and I saw it and my heart just, I, I can't, I can't describe it. I was so unexpected. And I just looked at my messages and I saw that I had gotten a, a message from him and I knew instantly who it was. And truth be told, I, I missed this message for two weeks. Like I, I didn't look at Facebook. I was a, you know, a sales executive at the startup and we were growing a company at a fast pace and I, I didn't have time for social media. Right. <laughs> and, and I looked down my heart just, I'm like, I froze for a second and then it just exploded. And I instantly messaged him back and I instantly got on a call with him and I invited him out to California. And a couple of weeks later, he was in front of me and we were together and it was, it, it was something I'll never forget. This is something I've never talked about. I mean, oh, really? yeah, I've never really talked about this and I'm kind of remembering it as we go. Um, I talked about it with him, of course, but, but the truth is to me, Sean has always been this prominent part of my life in my mind. And I was always praying that he knew he was wanted. I would pray to God, just please let him know that he wasn't unwanted because I know he had separation anxiety and all sorts of things that come along with that kind of an experience. And the minute I got him in front of me, it was like, yeah, I, I didn't get all those memories with him, but it, it was like, um, gosh, I don't know how to explain it, but like, like I never missed a beat. Like I really knew this person in front of me. He was part of my heart that was now completing me. And, and that was, that was a really critical moment in my life. Hopefully it was to him too. Wow. I, I guess, I guess that if it was a prominent part of your life, and I do believe, I definitely believe that it, it will be. I mean, that 14 years, 14 years after, you know, after, after being adopted and finally meeting you in front of him, I guess it definitely, definitely it would be like, I really don't know how to describe it, but I believe that it really, it really would change. It really like a prominent as well. It, it was the equivalent. I mean, it was an answer to a, a lot of prayers. And it's, you know, in the moment, you're just happy and you don't want to let go. And I know it's weird. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be an 18 year old kid and seeing a man that you've imagined your entire life. And this man just hugging you and saying he loves you. And, you know, I, I can't imagine what it was like being him. But for me, it was just finally I have you and I don't want to let go. And I don't care how you feel about me. You're going to hear that I love you. And and I know I made him uncomfortable and I know that it was difficult. But I didn't care. I didn't care at all. Um, and it's it's a really special moment for sure. Now, the unfortunate thing about that story is that um, and, and I want to get into this. Hopefully we will. And, you know, I know that this conversation is organic, so I don't want to steer it at all. But um, at that time in my life, I was dealing with my own set of shame and guilt and, and I was hiding so many things in my life that um, Sean and my relationship uh, wasn't something that I could shout on the mountaintops. It, it was um, it was really weird. I had this sense of I never want to let him go. And yet I couldn't tell my friends and neighbors that this was my son because it would it would cause all of these questions that would all lead to, hey, Kyle's been to prison. Right. So it was a mixed bag. 
And it was a theme to my life. Like everything that happened that was great, every milestone that I achieved, every um, every great thing that I did in my career was was uh, stained with my past and came with fear and doubt and insecurity because I was hiding this thing about prison. So <clears throat> we'll, we'll maybe that'll make more sense if we talk a little bit about my career. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because, because I was about, because, because before you mentioned this part, right, actually I was about to ask you, uh, what was the feeling? I mean, that, uh, I mean, that what was the feeling? Uh, I mean, uh, during that moment, are you, are you ready to share about your past to Sean? Like, uh, hey, you know the reason why uh, I, I'm not there when you need me the most is because I was behind bars. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, um, it's the part of the story that makes sense. If you look at it from Sean's side, Sean's thinking, and look, I'm, I'm assuming some of this, we've had enough yep. conversations, but in, in Sean's mind, he's, he's been rejected. You think about this by the time he was four or five years old, he had been told that he was loved. He had been told that, um, that he was wanted and he had been, in his mind, rejected by every family that ever said that. He'd been in and out of um, foster care and all sorts of things. So at a young age, he was taught that he wasn't good enough, that there was something flawed about him, that there was a reason people didn't want him. And then at eight years old, he was adopted by his adopted parents. And I'm sure they did their best to make sure that that wasn't true. But when I get to meet him at the age of 18 years old, the only thing that's going to make sense to him if I tell him, hey, I really wanted you was for him to understand that I could not have him, that it wasn't my choice. That this was a this was an extenuating circumstance where I was in prison. So he had to know the truth about everything. And, and mm -hmm. I told him that in the context of I love you. I wanted you. And this is why we didn't get to be together. And it's sad and it's tragic, but it's the story. And um, and he accepted that. And I don't know to what degree he understands that I love him, but we're going to work on that for the rest of my life. That's that's something I'll I'll guarantee. I'll go to my grave telling him how much I love him. And hopefully he'll read some of my book. He's in my book, of course. And the heart wrenching part of when I. When I lost him, <clears throat> when I got the news over a prison phone that um, that my sister wasn't able to keep Sean while I was inside and that I was going to leave him and had my last conversation with him, that that was that was over the phone. And it was terrible. So 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 when you are having these conversations in behind behind that phone call, right, you are entering quiz year. Uh, because you mentioned that you 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 need to undergo thirty years of pre thirty years of prison year, right? But at the end of the day, it's reduced to four years, I guess, seven or four years, right? Not not exactly. And and look, this is where it gets kind of confusing. But I'll mm -hmm. I'll make it succinct and I'll make it easy. I was charged with a crime that if I got convicted of it, I would have gotten thirty years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what ended up happening was about a month, and this took 18 years to get sentenced. Uh, sorry, it took 18 months. <laughs> 18 <laughs> months to get sentenced. There's a huge difference between 18 months and 18 years. Yes. Um, 
but but in that 18 months the case the evidence of the case got weak and mm. the, the law of the, the the police officers had no legal um right to search the vehicle that they searched so i what ended up happening was they reduced the the charges to the b felony and i got a nine-year sentence so i was actually convicted with a nine-year sentence and i did seven years on that nine so that's how that worked out ah, i see so so just that, so uh, i guess that you're entering to which year when you're behind bars when you get a phone call that that, that your sister had to have to let go of sean um yes I, I got the call. I had a conversation with Sean. Um, he knew that he wasn't going to get to stay with my sister. And even at four years old, it's amazing what, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing no worries, what no children are able to comprehend and understand. And I remember some of the last words that he said to me. I, I asked if he was okay. And he said, not really. And I said, what's wrong, buddy? And he said, I wanted to be here when you got out. And it it just broke my heart. Oh, and, and that was some of the last words that we spoke until he was 18 years old. Oh, so wow. he understood I, the whole thing. So, uh, I mean, uh, I'm really sorry if I'd like uh, asking. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, it's something I've, I've dealt with, but it's. Uh, it's just, it, it breaks my heart for him. You know, I, I, I committed crimes and I did things to get myself in trouble, but never in my wildest dreams that I think the collateral damage was going to be my children in the way that it was. And, um, again, the silver lining to that is that my two daughters that are with me now, they get the lion's share of all my love and all my heart and all my attention. And, uh, and I live a much more fulfilled life because of those heartbreaks, but it, they, they didn't deserve it. My little, my, they're not little anymore, but my boys didn't deserve any of that. And I wish I could just wave a magic wand and take it all away, but yeah, we've got to deal with that. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for sharing this, uh, this part of the stories about children with because, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> thank you, man. I know, I know it's a, I know it's, uh, a bit emotion for you when sharing this part, especially about your children. Uh, and I do appreciate that you you share it out. Thank you, man. Thank you. I really, okay, I really, I really I'm, I'm a big cry baby. Don't worry about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's I it's very heart touching, especially you know at the moment when you said that finally after 18 years, I mean that 18 years old son shone in front of you, heart in like uh, it's very touch. Uh, I, I definitely can imagine that scene. I can definitely imagine that kind of feelings, man. Ah, uh, oh man. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's a good start. Definitely a good start. So, so just now you mentioned that you've been bars behind bars for seven years, and twenty-three years you spend. Uh, I mean, sorry, not twenty-three years, but twenty-three hours out of twenty-four hours you spend your time alone. And, and, and definitely I watch a movie, I watch a documentary especially, uh, I watch a documentary in Netflix, it's called, uh, it's called about 
uh, is title called prison around the world. And one particular person, he just went to the prison and spent time there to experience the feeling. And, and I really wonder, like, when you spend the time, like, 23 hours inside this four-coded world, what was running inside your mind during that time? Yeah, so uh, it's probably best if we set that up just a little bit because I wasn't just in solitary, right? I was in, uh, I had just come off the streets. Uh, I was an insane drug addict. Um, I was facing this incredible sentence and nobody that ever had been friends with me in the past had anything to do with me. I had let my mother down. I had burned every bridge that you can imagine. So I was alone on this ride in every way imaginable. Um, and all I could think about was what my life was going to look like, uh, whether I would ever get to contribute again. Would anybody ever love me? Would I ever get to have children and raise them? I mean, there was so many fears that I couldn't begin to you know, touch on right now in a, in a short amount of time. But I'm dealing with all that in my head. <clears throat> and by the way, you don't just quit meth one day and your mind starts working. It takes mm -hmm. a long time for you to start getting your own thoughts and for you to start recognizing the person that your parents raised you to be. And I'm going through that. I'm going through withdrawals. I'm going through all the things that happened during detox. And all of this pain and this confusion and this what in the hell have I done to my life and fear drove me to God. And it, it drove me to want truth and want to understand purpose and want to understand why I exist. It became this, this incredible existential experience where I just said, screw it. I, I have no distractions, right? I, I don't care what car I drive. I'm in this cell. I don't care what clothes I wear. I, I don't care about my status. I don't care about making money. None of that stuff is a distraction for me right now. I'm just going to have a mono e mono with God. And what I had to do is I had to strip down uh, mentally to what I truly believed. And I had, to, I had to create what is my real foundation. And mm -hmm. so I didn't get, I didn't want to get confused with, <clears throat> with whether or not the gospel was right, or was it Muhammad or Jesus or Buddha or Hare Krishna or any of those people? Were they the true messenger? What I did is I said, do I believe in God? Do I believe that there is a creator of the universe? The answer was yes. Check that box. Then it was, well, what else do I believe? I believed that if I asked him for truth, to bring me truth, and I meant it with the purest of intentions, that I would get it. Okay, check that box. And the third thing that I believed was that if God <clears throat> wasn't going to bring me truth after I had asked for it with the purest of heart, if he would bring me anything other than that, then everybody on the planet is screwed anyway. So yeah. with those three beliefs, I started to figure everything out. And I will tell you that this was the biggest transformation of my entire life, where I discovered that it wasn't about religion, and it wasn't about dogma, and it wasn't about heaven and hell. Life was about love and togetherness. And the oneness with everything in God. And these are really radical concepts for 
a, a guy from Missouri, especially in his you know mid twenties from mm-hmm. Missouri, right? And uh, and and this is not something that came lightly. Uh, this was this was a a leap of faith that I had to take, where I had to release some of the childhood religion that I grew up with, and that's scary. When you when you're when you're uh, your convictions are that if you doubt anything that's in the Bible or you doubt anything that you've ever learned, you go to hell for eternity. That's difficult to start thinking, hey, it's really about something else. But the end of this, the, 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 the uh, moral of this story is that my, my relationship with God became so close, so intimate and so personal especially inside that cell, that nothing felt like it could touch me. I was still scared. I was still worried that I was going to do the rest of my life in prison. But I had gotten to a point to where it's like, if this is what's going to happen, God, so be it. Let's do this thing. But please, if it's your will, (laughs) give me another shot at this thing. And, um, you know, I've never been the same since. Wow, wow, and 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 what? So, so just now, just now, just now, you mentioned that I, I mean, so okay, so okay, okay, I'm kind kind of like uh, like oh, oh, like like this the this sharing is awesome, and okay, so just now you mentioned that throughout that twenty three hours, and your relationship with God had changed, it become more closer, and especially when when the detox happened, you started to have more clearer. Uh, clear thoughts and you started to able to control yourself and and just now you mentioned that hey god if this is what you want me to do for the rest of my life which is sitting in this bar so be it but if you really if you want to give me a shot at this chance uh, having another having a second chance at life again like just do it so what happens after that prayer well, fast forward to a couple months later and the case got weak. And you know, again, when I say by the grace of God, I don't take it, I don't take it lightly. And the case got weak, it got dropped to a B felony, and I got a nine-year sentence. So now I get my my second chance. I in the state of Missouri, a nine-year sentence, your first time getting in trouble, you do a third on that. So I was gonna do three years. And so in my mind, I had just done 18 months getting sentenced. I had another year and a half that I was going to go off to prison and I was going to get out and I was going to be with my son at the age of nine. But what ended up happening, and this is where the story gets a little rocky, is a couple months before I get get out on what's called parole, Mm -hmm. the federal government, the U.S. government comes in and they indict me. And they try me for the same crime twice. And I go into one of the most violent holding facilities in the country in Leavenworth, Kansas, and I'm facing life in prison again. So the story doesn't end with this beautiful experience in that cell and this this incredible relationship with God. The story has so much more to it. And look, all of this is captured inside Patchwork Junkie. Um, So, you know. I don't want to ruin the <laughs> story, but I had to go off and spend another two years getting sentenced 
scared to death that I was going to do life in prison for the federal government. And that is a unique experience for a lot of people because essentially what happened is I spent the first four years of my seven years behind bars thinking that I was never going to get out. And I go through that experience that I just talked about, about being scared to death, uh, that I would never get to contribute, never get to love somebody, never get to raise children, never get to do all the, the gifts that people get to do on the outside. I went through that twice. And uh, that is a debilitating psychological um, uh, trap that you can't imagine. It, 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 it chips away at your self-worth. It chips away at how bad you are. You know, it, it just, it, it, it creates this self-image and this negative talk that you would never believe. So fast forward a little bit further, I get some breaks and I get a seven year sentence by the federal government and I go off and I do the rest of my time in, in federal prison and then I walk out. So, um, so it was, it was, a, if, if we broke it all down to the spiritual journey, I, I hit rock bottom. I had this incredible awakening and I think I get this, this glimpse of what life can be and how happy it can be and how fulfilled you can truly be inside your heart. And then it gets stripped away and the universe decides, Hey Kyle, how bad do you want this? And I have to figure all that out. And then finally I walk out at the age of 35 years old in 2005 with no college degree, no network. Um, I, I'd never even sent an email. And I enter the workforce. I enter corporate America as a scared convict hiding all of my past from everybody, thinking that I'm worthless because people wanted to lock me up and throw away the key. And I take that scared convict making $10 an hour to a decade later of my life, I'm a two. I'm a, a vice president inside a two billion dollar publicly traded company. So I created an incredible amount of success, driven by the fact that I understand how how it feels to have everything stripped away, and driven by, quite frankly, that fear and shame and doubt and insecurity. And I took all of those negative emotions and put together a comeback story that. I'm proud of. I'm proud of. And it's part of the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing now, because I want people to understand that no matter how far you fall, because I, I think I fail as far as anybody can. I, a lot of people do, but I can't imagine being any more, um, you know, any falling any further than where I was in that cell or where I was in federal holding. And then to pull yourself back up, and not just survive, but thrive in life. Yes. The last year that I was in corporate America, I made $750,000 that year. And that's, that's, how, that's how big my career was. And it's not about the money. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about the fact that you can, without a college degree, with you know, five convictions on your record, and no education, right? No experience. You can find a way to um, to be at the top of the game. 
And I want people to know that. I want everybody to understand that that's what's inside of them. And wherever they're at, whatever their situation is, is not them. Those are a few bad decisions that now they need to correct. And I want to be the example of that. And Vincent, let me step back and take a breath because I'm I'm on a soapbox now. I'm sorry, but <laughs> this, is, this is what my life stands for and what makes meaning out of all this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you you don't need, you don't need to you don't need to like to to worry about that. If you if you feel like you want to share, you can just share. I, I'm 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 so happy because I was just like listen to a story. Like, true, it's true. I mean, that what you say is true. Like, I mean, that I guess that everyone fall into fall into I mean at the deepest and darkest tunnel or alley in their life. And and you know that like, because not so many people are so fortunate like you, like having taken all these insecurities, all those fear, and to and, and to generate it to become your energy to make a comeback in life. Because most of the people when they go in and they come out, they fall into the same trap again. And 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 I really I, I really really love what you're doing. Is like try to make an example for others. Hey, I'm I've gone through much more worse than you. Okay, for example, like a, uh, my, my my son was adopted to other families, and I've going to jail, and I was like have a clear sense of mind that of like what life should be, and then be stripped away again, and then I come back to life again, and I make this as like you know like this big company so so i mean that this is so inspiring i mean that this is why you are the first this is why you are the first <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're the first and and here's the thing because you mentioned that 2005 was the year where you finally release you, you get out from this bars and how many years this is this is something that i'm really curious because how many years do you how many years did it take for you to share your stories, to share your past with others? Because, because it's not that you have, like, I mean, that your, I mean, that if we say in terms of society, some sort of like a resume, you, I mean, that your resume is, I mean, it's not that good. You have five convictions and et cetera and et cetera. So how, how long did it take for you to share your past, to tell people, about your past and to share that what I am today is is all is linked to, to the past that I had. Right. Um, this this is uh, this is the best question you could have ever asked. And um, I just want you to know you're you're really good at interviewing. Um, Thanks, and you're man. a great Thanks, listener, man. so I appreciate this. But the the uh, I, the the quick answer. And then we'll talk a little bit about what led up to it is I didn't tell anybody about my past until 2017. So this is 12 years after I got out. And for 12 years, I had hidden this from every employer, every, every salesperson that ever worked for me, every friend that my wife and I had ever had. We have the closest relationships. I, I don't just have surface relationships with friends. I I get so connected. And this is something that's innate about me. It has nothing to do with the amount of time I did and all that other stuff. Just my nature as a human being is that if you're going to be my friend, then it, it's going to be a close, you know, for the rest of our life relationship. 
And we had those relationships, have those relationships with people that we did not tell about my background because I was so scared that if anybody found out that I, excuse me, that I'd been to prison or that I'd uh, done drugs at the level that I had done them, they would leave me. They would find out that I was worthless. And this had a lot to do with my self-worth and those life sentences that were pending and how I felt about my past. And so during that decade of my life where I went from the $10 an hour to the, you know, to the successful side of it all, I got stage four cancer. Uh, I lived every day in, in shame and fear and guilt. And I mean, just insane amounts of it. And so in 2017, I had a failed partnership with some business partners and I was trying to keep my business afloat. And my wife and I were living, we had created a life for ourselves that, that was not fulfilling. And in my mind, I recognized that every decision I was making, whether it was finances, whether it was relationships, whether it was my career, whether it was the amount of time I spend for myself was all driven by the fear of people finding out about my past. And I'm a proud person. And something clicked inside of me and said, take your life back. You're Kyle Houston. Come on, man. And I said, and I thought the only, I talked to myself like that, right? So the only way I was going to do this is release the truth. Like it's what I'm hiding is what's causing all this. And so I sat down and started writing the book in July of 2017. I started to call my friends and I would tell them, Hey, I have something I want to share with you. Can we set up a time to come over? And they're all used to me joking. And this was a really great moment. They're like, what, what's going on? And I would come over and I would tell them and they would protect me. They would wrap their arms around me and every one of them would cry with me and nobody left. And every single person, I get a little choked up saying, boy, I am a crybaby. Every single person I told made me stronger, made me realize that I never, ever should have lived with this burden because I didn't get out of prison in 2005. That's when I physically walked out of the cinder blocks and the bars. I didn't get out of prison until 2017 in my mind. You know what I mean? Yep. And none of that success meant anything. None of the house or the cars or any of that stuff meant anything because I couldn't enjoy it. So during the process of writing that book, I finally started to release everything that I was just talking about. And I actually, for the first time, looked and, and I said, wow, I've done some pretty incredible things. Wow. I have lived so much, you know, with with the past and what I had done and feeling so badly about it that I didn't give myself any credit for achievements. And my life completely changed two and a half years ago. So there's the there's the story. Again, wow. that's the first time I told that story too. <laughs> my friend, they lived it with me. But I, I, wow. can't, I can't tell anybody enough that um, certainly there are times to hide your story. Certainly there are reasons to not reveal it to everybody. Because if I would have walked into the companies that I worked for 
And I would have said, hey, I'm a five-time convicted felon. Can I run your sales team? But the answer would have been unequivocally no, right? No, 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 we can't trust you. So I, I, I hid it when I needed to hide it. But I, I didn't need to hide it to the degree that I did. I didn't need to feel the shame to the degree that I did. And once I released it, I decided nobody has done anything bad enough to live like I did for 12 years. Nobody for 25 years, probably. And I, if, if my life is going to stand for anything, it's the pursuit of giving people hope and relief from all of that, because I know I'm not the only one. I know that there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not billions of people, if not everybody that lives in some type of shame that hinders their ability to give their gifts. And now I'm teed up and ready to go, right? Now I've been through the mud. I've been drugged through the mud and back. And now I, there isn't a, a whole lot that somebody can come to me and say, hey, I'm ashamed for this reason that I haven't been through. And that's why I feel honestly very lucky to have gone through it because I'm educated. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, indoctrinated in the ability to, uh, to truly dive deep with somebody and say, hey, I'm in the trenches with you, brother, sister. Let's get up out of this because I know how this works. That's, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is truly powerful, and and it's so and it's so amazing when you share that you finally like call your friends mm. that hey, come over. I got something I want to share with you. I guess that when you started to make that, you do feel the fear. I think that I think that this is not just you. I, I do believe that it happens to everyone, especially uh, those who are having a convicted, you know, like sitting behind bars and everything. Because we we as a society, I mean that. We, we have this kind of mindset that once you go into the bar, there's no chance for you to have a good life. Once you go into the bar, once you go into the jail, you'll always be a bad person. And it's amazing. And it's so amazing when you having such a good friends who surround you and give you a heart and telling you that right, we are here with you. And they didn't laugh at all. That's the most important thing. They didn't laugh at all. And it's truly, truly amazing. Truly amazing, man. I'm really happy. I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy that, especially the moment when you say, "I'm actually physically out from the prison." Is actually from the year of 2017. That's where I started to know that I need to take control of my life back, but not, but not going forward because of the, or because of those fear. Man, this is so powerful. This is so powerful. It's um, it's it's a part of my life that it, when you're living in fear, when you're living in survival, you you don't see it, you don't you don't see it. It's just the, it's the way it, the way it is. And and I, it, do you understand the term white knuckling? When you white knuckle mm -hmm. something, it's it's when it's when it's just stressful. It's it's it comes from holding a steering wheel very tight and white knuckling. I white knuckled my life for twelve years. I white knuckled my career. And everything was me running. I just emotionally and spiritually was running from the past. And I was always preparing myself for the day that one of the companies I worked for would find out, that somebody would go on the internet and find out. And they would come to me and say, why should we keep you? So 
I was always working 16. I was always working. Let's just end it with that. I was always working because I was always trying to prove my worth to somebody. And it was never going to be enough. Like I had gotten so deep inside that that mindset that I was not worth anything and that I was um, that it was all a facade. I, that was my reality that everything I was doing was to continue to build upon this facade. And it was a miserable life. Now, there was great things that happened. My, my kids were born and, and you know, I took great vacations and my wife and I, um, we, we lived a, a great life and we had great friends and spent time with them on the weekend. So it wasn't all bad, but the vast majority of my life was me white knuckling everything and trying to hedge my bets. And once you finally let that go and you lighten up, you can start being yourself for the potentially the first time in your life. And it's all held back by these, these silly made up fears that everybody's going to hate you. Everybody's going to leave you. Everybody's going to take what you have. And once that goes away and you realize you live in abundance and that none of those things matter and that people really love you for who you are, ah, you, you just can't imagine the strength. You cannot imagine it. And I hope that at least one person hears this today and goes out and tells a single person about whatever it is, just one person, and it starts there because it started there with me. I told three people at once, right? And they were my first three people. And you just couldn't imagine this. I, you know, at the time, my persona was to be this, this sales executive with lots of bravado and all the answers. And, you know, my God, I can sell anything. You know, that, that, was, that, was, that was the part of the facade that I built. And to walk in and tell these three people and staring at the floor and, you know, him hauling around and stuttering and, and trying to tell them and then have all of them tell me, we don't care. We're glad that you told us. One of them actually cried and told me about his brother. And we have a, a relationship that I, it will last for the rest of our lives. But to go from scared to death to that moment was leaps and bounds towards who I really am. And, um, God, I hope, again, I hope somebody hears this and I hope they take that leap. I hope everybody hears it and they take that leap. Yep, yep, true, true. And it's, oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. <sighs> you know, I, every time when, when I listen to, to you share about this inspiring moment, it's like, ah, it's like, it's so amazing. I, I, I don't know how to describe it in words, but I know that it's just, it's just so amazing. It's just so amazing. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm having this conversation with you. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so let's talk about your book. Like, uh, it's called Patchwork Junkie, right? So, what, what, how, how did the story come from, and what is the book about? So the book, the book is the thing that I wanted to do when I wrote the book, <clears throat> more than anything, was. I wanted to make sure that I set this story up to where people could understand how somebody can fall this far. 
how somebody can get trapped inside addiction. And the, the driving force for this book was that I wanted people to gain empathy for all sorts of things in life. So I wrote it in first person narrative so that people understood what I was thinking. And it's, um, it's, it's just essentially the story of my life from the time I got addicted to drugs, the reader parachutes right into the middle of a fire, the very first chapter that I, I had a fire in one of my meth labs. And then it goes to um, my time in prison and my relationship with God, which incidentally was not, uh, was not perfect by any means. I went through all the emotions that people do, the, the, the fear of hope, the fear of having faith anymore, because I had gone through this roller coaster ride. And at times you blame God, you blame the universe, you know? And, and so I go through those arguments and the, the tough times and the heartbreak sharing my thoughts. And, um, and then of course it, it flashes back and talks about my childhood and things like that. But it was written for anybody that wants to understand a, what it's like to be addicted to drugs or have gone through child abuse or um, dealt with prison, loss of children, all of the things we just talked about. But it's also written for the people who the mothers and the sisters and the brothers and the family members and the loved ones of people that knew addicts or lost their loved ones to addiction because everybody assumes that the addict doesn't love them. How can the addict do this to me if they love me? And the truth is, as you read my book, you'll find out. I loved my mother. I, I still do. <laughs> but when I, was, <laughs> when I was going through the addiction, I loved my children. I loved my mother. I loved my girlfriend. I loved everybody. And I broke their hearts. And I did the exact opposite of what somebody does when they love somebody. And here's the reason why. And it's all in my book. It's all in there. And it's, it's, it's got humor, believe it or not. And I pulled no punches whatsoever because I knew that if I was going to release that thing that we talked about, if I was going to truly take back my life, I needed to do something where there was no turning back, no turning back whatsoever. And that's this book. Once you read this book, there's no secrets left, man. There's no secret. Right? Every skeleton's inside there. So uh, on one sense, I can't wait to get it in everybody's hands. On the other sense, I'm wondering if I'm ever going to be employable again. So, <laughs> so time will tell. Time will tell, my man. Um, yeah, thank you. I mean, that. hey, guys. You, you know, uh, okay, so if you want to know where you can order for your pre-order, you just go to patchworkjunkie.com patchworkjunkie.com for your pre-order. And I really can't wait. I really can't wait for that book to arrive. I really can't wait. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you. That's, that's great. I can't wait either. I, 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 uh, there's lots of things I'm proud of in my life, but this, is, this ranks up at one of the top ones. I have spent more time and more effort and more soul putting the words down on paper through this book. And I am so anxious to get it into people's hands and have them um, – have them change. Have them yes. change. Wow. Amazing. 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 And wow. Wow. This is, 
I can't, this is, this is, this is so amazing. Like these conversations and I mean it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Carl, for, for sharing your story with us today. And thank you so much for saying yes for my invitation because I was kind of worried. Yeah. Because I, I, I knew, I know that you are very busy with your, with your book and writing and doing some work as well. So, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate you spending your time here, man. I really love it. Vincent, let me let me make sure that I you understand this. Um, the fact that you're interested in what I have to say, and the fact that you're creating a platform to help others change their lives, um, the pleasure is all mine, and it's my honor to be your first guest. And I this was one of the best conversations that I've had with any interview so far. Um, so I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. So, yes. So thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you so much for, for your time. And I know it's approximately 10.30 a.m. And I'm not sure what's, 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 what's the schedule for the rest of the day. But still, thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of this episode one, the series of Moth in Black. And stay tuned. Stay tuned because we're going to have our next guest, which will be Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. GMT plus 8 and uh, 6 p.m. CST. And, and I see you guys in the very next episode.